It is good to be with you this morning, um, although this is my first time literally here uh, in Hazelmere and the way you're operating with these three uh, services. I, I, it's, it must be at least a couple of years since I've, I've been up here. We've, we're all busy with our different, slightly different spheres within New Frontiers, the broader family. Um, I'm in the one that's called Commission, works around with Guy Miller. I work with Guy Miller particularly from around the Bournemouth area. I'm, Winchester, and uh, obviously you have links with Steve Tibbet, I know, uh, who I also know very well. But uh, we've got quite long-standing links with, um, I know, uh, Neil and Des and, and Ron and Joy and many others from some years back. So it's great to be with you, although this is a very different setting. So I'm, I mustn't, I, my danger is I'll relax and start walking down memory lane, but I've got to get going, I've got to go and do it again. So what I want to do this morning is talk about a subject which, uh, I, I don't know if it's unusual or not for you, but it's a subject suddenly, is the title I'm using, and we're looking at a characteristic of the living God. And we're going to base what I'm saying, I'm going to base it on some verses in Isaiah. We won't particularly read a long passage, but Isaiah is a magnificent Old Testament book. It's wonderful. Uh, it, someone's called it the... Um, Everest of the Old Testament. It's like the, the top peak. And I think that's true. I think it's, it's got wonderful stuff in it. But one of the things that Isaiah keeps uh, doing, really, is giving us amazing visions of God, amazing insights into who God is and what he's like, the great creator, the sovereign God. He has a very big view of God. And today we're going to look at one characteristic which, which comes up several times in Isaiah, this characteristic that God, from our perspective, often acts suddenly. For us, it is often suddenly. And it's one of the characteristics that Isaiah mentions several times. Here's one verse, Isaiah 48.3, which can go up on the screen. God's speaking, and he says, I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them, and I made them known. But suddenly, I acted, and they came to pass. So there's that sense that a long time ago, I spoke about them. In fact, I announced them again and again, and then suddenly it happened. Now, in this context, literally, it's quite a, a, a dangerous one, if you like, or a scary one, because it's talking about a judgment that came on Israel, that he'd warned them for many times about their behavior, warned them about their backsliding. They were stubborn and rebellious. And then suddenly, the things that were predicted, the enemy, the Babylonians, they swept in, and it all happened. And God said, I'm behind it. I've warned you, and now suddenly I've acted. But it is a key characteristic of God. And Alec Mottier has wrote, uh, I think he's died since gone to heaven, but he wrote a, an excellent um, commentary on Isaiah. And a little phrase which I love, which he uses, is that one of the characteristics of God is undated prediction coupled with sudden fulfillment. That's a characteristic of our living God. And it's a characteristic that comes out a number of times, but perhaps to use a a sort of really obvious example, but a very important example, would be Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story, if you like. There's this long period of prediction that a Messiah is coming. And in the Old Testament, they were puzzled, really. They, they could try to look into it. Is he a suffering servant? Is he a reigning king? Uh, you know, from David, David, great David. Is it David back again? What is it? And then there were other bits about a new covenant God was going to do that would be tied around it. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Isaiah himself, of course, bring out huge, huge sort of parts of the puzzle, but it's hard to see. And there's these predictions have gone on for centuries, actually. 
And then in the timing of God, suddenly something happens. A virgin is with child, which was predicted by Isaiah. Emmanuel, God with us. The the angels that rip open the sky and sing and proclaim on uh, on the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story as we know it. And suddenly everything changes. And actually there were holy people, I'm not sure if holy is the right word, religious people, who knew all about the predictions, but who actually missed the coming of Jesus. And the most obvious example of that is around the wise men uh, who come looking, where, where's this? They're, they're looking with sincerity, sincerity for this new king that's been born from heaven. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law are able to say, well, Bethlehem, because they know their Old Testament, they know the predictions about Bethlehem being the key place, but they miss him. They miss Jesus themselves. So that they, they miss the very thing. They know what the predictions say, but they just don't get it when Jesus turns up. Now, that can be another feature. If I use a, a quote, which is what I'm going to do, from a book by R.T. Kendall, who's a, a more contemporary writer, and he, he write, has written a book called When God Shows Up, And he writes this, countless incidents in the Bible tell of the Lord showing up when he wasn't expected, although he should have been, and showing up in a manner that was surprising. God continues to do this today. And we must be open to the unexpected time and the unexpected manner of his coming. For we may be surprised to find that he has been around and we haven't recognized him. Now, what I want you to get this morning is something exciting about God. It's slightly scary in a good way that God still behaves like this. He loves to keep us a bit surprised, on the back foot in some ways, to suddenly come and turn up and change everything. So we could add a little bit to Mottier's definition. We could make it this, which isn't going to go on the screen. Undated prediction coupled with sudden fulfilment in an unexpected and surprising manner. That's how God often behaves, and it often keeps us a little bit on the back foot. Our God is quite edgy. He's not just safe and predictable. Now, why would God be like this? Why would he deal this way? Well, I think we could say a lot of things, but I think there are three parts to the answer. I'll be very quick. I think God deliberately behaves like this, Because he wants to avoid human beings think they can manipulate him and make it happen. They can make things happen that God predicts. He wants also to make sure that we realise it's he that is moving, not just us, not an idol, not a false god, it's him. And that's why God does the unusual and the unpredictable and yet it's sort of predicted as well, it sort of ties in. He wants a second part of my answer tied together, really. He wants to keep us dependent on him, to realize that we can get ready, we can prepare ourselves, but there are many things only he can do. We can't do it. He has to do it. We have to wait on God. We have to wait on him. And he's arranged it, therefore, so that we, thirdly, need to keep humble and ready all the time. Let's look at this verse in Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. It will go up on the screen. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? 
Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. That magnificent insight. Another one of the greatness of God is sovereignty, is creation. You know, what's, what, what sort of house are you going to build for me? And then he says this. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. God said, these are the ones who are going to be ready. See, that's what the chief priests and the teachers of the law weren't when Jesus came. They weren't humble and trembling at God's word. They intellectually knew all the predictions, but they missed him completely because there wasn't an expectant, humble openness to what God might do, that he might break their paradigms. He might come a different way to the way they expected. It's an important aspect There is, uh, in that context, in Isaiah 66, it goes on to talk about those, and God warns them, who've chosen their own ways and delight in their own abominations. And he says, those people won't see me. They'll miss it. If you just locked into your own way, you will miss what I'm going to do. So if we're going to be open to God's suddenlies in life, we need to be people who tremble at his word and keep humble before him. And you know, that's quite difficult for us in the modern world. I think the modern mind of our culture, 21st century Britain, Western culture, and actually Christians, because we do tend to absorb our culture and swim in it a bit, the modern mind finds it quite difficult to accept God like this. I mean, we almost understand that he might have appeared to behave like this for those people back then who weren't quite as smart as we are. But it's more like many people think, well, once God behaved like that, this suddenly and catches off guard and unexpected, but now we understand everything. You know, our technology, our science has helped us to understand how the world's made, to understand how it works. We understand even psychology, human, uh, uh, social psychology, and all sorts of things. We understand how people are. We understand the whys and wherefores of things. We can predict, we can plan, we can prepare, we can make sure it all works. We, it's a bit like uh, the old circus which used to have lions, tame performing lions, and they're, they're in the, you know, you're watching them on the circus ring. They're in a cage. They, they do roar, which is slightly scary. Always a little frisson of excitement. But to be honest, they're pretty safe in there. There's someone in there with a chair and a whip. And, you know, they get them to stand on their hind legs. And all oh, horrible things that probably they don't do now. But, you know, they get them to sort of, sort of roll over and all that. Oh, it's quite nice. And, and maybe God is a bit like that. Ooh, look, hey, it could be scary, but we've got it all buttoned down. Now, we've got God. Well, we aren't. God has not changed. Here's a verse in, our, in Psalms, which is set sort of in the context of people talking and thinking a bit like modern people can. You know, oh God, you know, he won't do that anymore. He's, he's, um, he, he's not doing that these days. It says, God who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. God has not changed. He still loves to act suddenly. He still likes to be unpredictable and surprise us. Not in a random, chaotic unpredictability. Not like, uh, you know, you just never know, how, is he going to be nice or not? Is he going to be smiling or frowning? It's not that sort of thing. He will predict, smite the coming of Jesus, clearly. But when it happens, it can be surprising and sudden. Okay, John, you say you're talking about this. How does this apply to us? Well, this is where we want to be. 
We want to take the next few minutes to apply it to our lives. How could we experience the suddenly of God? Well, I'm going to briefly look at it from three angles or three points. First of all, personal. There are hundreds, maybe even thousands of examples in the Bible of personal suddenlies that changed everything for people. You think of Abraham, think of Jacob, Moses, Jacob wrestling, do you remember? Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, Isaiah himself, chapter 6 of Isaiah, when he met the Lord, and it suddenly changed everything about his life and his calling. But I want to give you one which is very well known from the New Testament. Let's read this one. It's Saul on his way to Damascus. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, many of you will know the context, but just briefly to remind you, this guy, Saul, has got his life very well organized. He's a ruthless character. He's got, he knows about Jesus. He's not ignorant about Jesus, but he thinks he's very clear who Jesus is. Jesus is a failed Messiah. Messiahs aren't crucified. People are cursed who hang on a cross. This cannot be the real Messiah. This does not fit in with Paul's understanding of the Old Testament, which he knew very well, by the way. knew it inside out. And he said, this doesn't fit my ideas. This is wrong. In fact, it's a distraction. In fact, it's a bad thing. It's blasphemous. I want it stamped out. And he's got a purposeful, clear program to his life. He's going around closing churches. And he's now got as far as Damascus. He's ticked off the few others. Now he's got the next one on his list. He's in Damascus. And he's headed there to sort them out as well. And suddenly... Jesus changes everything. It's not that he's never known who Jesus is, but his whole perspective of Jesus changes. Oh my word, he is alive. He is who he says he is. He is who the Christians say he is. The whole thing swings round. He's very aware, but he's got a totally negative view of it. There's something breaks through and his whole view, and it polaxes him. And I tell you, that may be extremely dramatic at one level, but it can be and still is often like that for many people. I don't know you this morning. Very few of you do I know. You may not yet have met with Jesus. You may have, you probably know about him. You wouldn't be here this morning. You may have gone on alphas and things. You think, well, yeah, it's interesting, but I'm not sure. I think he's just a good teacher. I think this or I think that. I think it's, you know, Christians get a little bit naive about it all, I think. I think possibly it's all just evolved. You've got your own little views of, of just how it all is. I tell you, I hope even now, this morning, God can suddenly change your whole perspective. I pray he does if you're in that position. Because you need to know the truth, it will set you free. This actually set Paul free. It revolutionized his life. These suddenlies are not always comfortable. This was not comfortable. It had a high cost on his life, but he would never, ever have changed it. Paul's perspective of his life was everything prior to this was done. He used a very strong word. Everything prior to this was rubbish, was done. But actually, this paradigm shift, this suddenly brought a whole load of Worries and trouble, not worries, troubles to him. I mean, he was quite soon after this incident even being hunted for his life by the Jews who he used to work with. He suddenly entered into a very dangerous and unpredictable for lifestyle, but he wouldn't have changed it for the world. 
Now, the something of that balance can happen with God suddenly in you. It may not make your life more comfortable. It may certainly, I think it's unlikely to make it more predictable and cozy, but it'll be much more real and free and true. And I pray it happens for you. But there's also many of us as Christians who can actually get a little bit complacent. Maybe it's many years since God really shook you up. Maybe you've got a little story of 30 years ago, you know, this happened. Ever since then, it's been quite a gentle little jog along. Well, God can still break in. Maybe, seriously, there was a call on your life. You know, you think, I, I felt called to whatever 20, 30 years ago. But, you know, it didn't happen, and this has happened, and that's happened. and It seems a long way from happening now. If you really know God was in that, don't give up. Suddenly, things can happen. Suddenly, it can be a change in a situation, a job, a situation. Something often circumstantial will be part of it. And the providence of God will suddenly change things. Be open Be open to God's personal suddenlies. God wants to call you out of the mundane and the cosy and the safe. And he wants to take you into a new realm in your life, a new area of service maybe, a new breakthrough in personal witness or personal experience. Maybe another Pentecost for you, another baptism of the Spirit, another infilling. God wants to freshen you up, change your perspective. Maybe you think you've got it all sus, this Holy Spirit thing. Well, I think you might be in for a surprise. I want to quickly move on. Corporate. Now, we could again choose many examples of of corporate things which change. Think of the Exodus, Israel. After all those centuries, 400 years was it, and then there was a day or in a short period of time when God sent Moses, broke through the whole thing of the plagues, Red Sea, and everything changed. The nation born in a day, in effect. You could take Jericho. You could take the restoration of Jerusalem under Cyrus, Esther, in her moment of breakthrough when the Jews looked as though the whole nation was going to be killed and suddenly it swung the other way and they were all the top dogs and Mordecai became uh, the second in the nation to, to the king, to the emperor. And, and it changed from one way to another for the people of God, the Israelites. Well, here's one from the New Testament. Let's look at that one. It's Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, this was 120 people. How many here this morning? 120? Not far off. 100 maybe. I reckon it was a crowd not much bigger than you this morning. Let's get our imagination around that. So there's 120 people, and actually they're not in a bad state of mind. They've had a fairly interesting, exciting few few weeks. They've they've had a bad thing happen one time. They saw their saviour crucified, their Lord crucified. But then three days later, he's resurrected. They've met the risen Jesus. He's taught them for 40 days about how the how everything he's happened to him, everything he's done is linked to the Old Testament prophecies of a Messiah and a new covenant. It's been wonderful. But then he's gone back to heaven 
and uh, he's disappeared. And that was an extraordinary experience. But actually, it's a little bit of an anticlimax at one level because, okay, what do we do now? So this 120 people have been told to wait in Jerusalem. Okay, we wait. So they're meeting and praying. And I, I think they're in a positive state of mind, but they're a little bit like, yeah, I'm not sure what happens next. So there are 120 of them. They hadn't experienced what they're about to experience. We've just read ever before. So there's 120 of them, they're meeting, they're praying, they're talking about the great memories they've got of Jesus, probably going over the stuff he's taught them, because it was pretty remarkable, I'm sure. And then suddenly, they're gathered together in a room like this, suddenly something really, all heaven breaks out. There's a noise like a rushing wind, there's a sort of shaking, there's, there's like tongues of fire, I'm not quite sure what that is, all over them. And then suddenly they're starting to speak in another language, in tongues, and, they, and there's a joy that bubbles up so much so that observers think they're drunk and suddenly this group of people who are sort of okay, sensible but happy and sort of wondering what happens next are suddenly like completely revolutionised and they break out on the streets and within hours Peter is preaching to hundreds and thousands of people and is telling them that you crucified the Lord of glory is risen from the dead. Now Peter had known that for about five or six weeks but he didn't seem to have the power or the courage to preach it till this point and he goes out in the street and preaches it. Now listen, this is exciting. The book of Acts is, is, is uh, 28 chapters but it covers thir- roughly 30 years of church history the book of acts get that in your head so you've got this many people roughly at the beginning of the book of acts the holy spirit falls on them they're baptized in the spirit they're filled with the spirit 30 years later about a lifetime or a generation later roughly there are churches planted all around the known world, all around the, the Near East and the Mediterranean. There are probably quite big churches of thousands of people now in Ephesus, in Corinth, in Antioch, in Rome. And in fact, at the end of the book of Acts, Paul, who wasn't even saved at Acts 2, remember that, Paul is in Rome teaching and preaching and, 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 um, and, and teaching people about the kingdom of God. And that's how the book of Acts ends. Now, I think the book, that, what I've just described to you, is God reminding us or provoking us or showing us how his church will grow throughout the church age till Jesus comes back. Now, I think as you look at church history, you can see that pattern again and again. Church history is a blend of faithful, obedient people working out the truth of the gospel and comings upon of the Spirit, suddenlies from heaven that revolutionise even these faithful good people and have a, 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 a sort of amazing compound multiplication effect on what they do. Churches planted, missionaries going to nations. You can see it again and again historically. That's how God moves. I mean, we've got to be faithful. We've got to be uh, uh, obedient. We want to preach the gospel. Of course you do. But we also need another suddenly, don't we? Think, you know, 120 people filled with the Spirit, 30 years' time, there could be thousands of churches in multiple countries. That is how the church has grown. It's, it's that blend. It's a mixture. It's not only the suddenly, but it's the, the faithfulness, the working it out, the obedience, and the suddenlies. That some groups, some get it, God comes on them in a new way. Fresh anointings, 
You know, I've been listening a lot to uh, a particular, I don't know if you know Jesus Culture. There's, there's a particular worship CD called Love Has a Name. And, uh, and it, on it, there is a, a track, We Need a Fresh Outpouring. And it's a beautiful song. And it stirred my heart so many times. I've listened to it and prayed, God, we need a fresh and, and And she's singing, Tim, Kim, she's singing about what's well, really Isaiah again. Oh, that you'd rend the heavens. She taught, tear the fabric, I think is the phrase in the song. But Isaiah says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would rend. And he said, yes, Lord, we need a fresh outpouring. Rend the heavens, Lord. Do it again. We're not going to do it. How are you going to reach High Wycombe and London? Just, I mean, how are we going to do Winchester? You know, we can. Yeah, yeah. We do have alphas. So do you. You know, we get a, a, a dozen on the alpha and six come through and six get baptized and praise the Lord. And I do feel praise the Lord. But we need a fresh anointing. We need another Pentecost. And then finally, there's a universal angle to this. This are probably less examples, these suddenlies. But let me give you perhaps a very big one. Think of Genesis chapter 1, first three verses. There is darkness over everything. And then God spoke, and there was light. And it's God spoke into being everything. Everything around us came from that point, the material for everything. I think when scientists look, back and call it the Big Bang, I think that's what they're talking about. They don't know it. I think once there was nothing, and then there was, in a sense, everything. God spoke suddenly. Romans 4, verse 17. God is the God who calls into being things that were not. I think it's pretty exciting to have a God who can do that. And he does still do it. You do get miracles of provision. Many, many stories in church history and today. Real miracles. You know, blind eyes seeing, organs being formed in people. People going back to the doctor and what was a huge tumour disappeared. And you you get miracles like the feeding of the five thousand. You know, God can still call things that are not into being. But we're thinking on the big one. And in the big way, God does these suddenlies that change everything. Another one would be the flood, where they, there was an expectation, a build-up, and days of Noah. And then there was a day when the heavens seemed to collapse. The rain just never stopped. And there was a breakup of the deep, and water was everywhere. The whole place was covered in water. And God's judgment came, and within a few days, it was completed. Another one would be the crucifixion, the cross of Jesus. Do you know, I think that was a cosmic event, a cosmic event. Something convulsed in the very, in very fabric because there were, there were the bodies of saints who died years earlier, goodness knows who they were, were seen walking around in Jerusalem. The sky was dark, there were earthquakes. The, the, the temple, the, the veil in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. Everything was changed. The whole, the whole paradigm was changing. The way was open to a holy God. You know, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, male, female, you could come through Jesus and come to God as your father. What a revolution the gospel was. People like Moses, as I would have hardly understood what that meant. And yet, there it was. It happened. A few hours, ripped the temple uh, veil. Everything changed. Everything changed. 
Rightly do we say history changed. I know they like to undermine that nowadays. Before Christ, AD after the Lord. That was the change of everything. The whole dynamic is different now. You don't have to come with the blood of animals and bulls and goats. You don't have to come through the high priest and once a year, a special place, special times, special ways. It's all changed. It's all in Christ. You can all come easily, willingly, boldly to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. There is a new and living way opened up through the. It's wonderful, isn't it? And that happened in effect suddenly. There was like millennia of build up. And then there was a day when he died and the veil was torn and within days the whole thing had changed for everybody. Everybody was good news. Good news for the Jews as well as the Gentiles. It was good news. As Peter said, we couldn't keep that law. We ourselves were still. Now we can come boldly. It was good news for everyone. Absolutely everyone. Well, there's one more big universal one to come. Let's look at it. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 6. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. There is a day coming when Jesus will return. And suddenly it will all change. People will not necessarily be expecting it. People will be saying peace and safety when it suddenly comes. If you don't know Jesus now as your Lord and Saviour, that will be a day when the opportunity is shut. And you'll only know him as your judge. So get ready now. But actually I'm thinking about even us as Christians. This will not be something we will totally have sussed. Oh yeah. I was expecting that. I thought it would happen today. And all through history, Christians have behaved like that, and they're daft to do it. Because it is very clear in the Bible, it won't be like that. You'll have a sense of build-up. If you're sensitive to the seasons, you can have a sense that autumn's coming and summer's coming. But you, it, that's the best you might have. Because in the end, God himself will decide how this happens. And I don't think... It's that mysterious. Let me give you a very easy, simple little passage. One, Acts 1, verses 9 to 11. If we go up on the screen. This is Jesus speaking. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. That's Jesus' ascension. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. So they're going, oh, what's happened here? And suddenly... There's two men beside them who say, get your eyes down here. You've got work to do, basically. But they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up in the sky? Then this last sentence, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. That is very straightforward. And in my opinion, very clear. I do not think... The frequent references to the return of Jesus in the New Testament are poetic ways of describing 
the day of Pentecost, personal conversion, what happens when a Christian dies, the growth of the church, the spread of the gospel. These are several of a number of daft explanations that various Christians and theological setups try and explain away the second coming of Christ. They say, oh, no, 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 no. It's, not, it's not literal. <laughs> no, no, it's just Pentecost or, you know, when you become a Christian. And What word shall I use? Rubbish. That's a good word. Rubbish. I think you either believe it or you don't. And I believe it. I don't want to mess about with it. I want to believe it. This same Jesus who has been taken into heaven will come back in the same way. There will be a personal return of Jesus and it will change everything. And it will appear and be sudden to most people. Very few people will be not radically surprised by it. In fact, I've, I think perhaps all of us will be uh, surprised. And it will be the greatest of all suddenlies. We're told in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. Whew. You either believe it or you don't. In the flash, in the it's not just gradual. It's not an evolution thing. There is preparation, as there was for the first coming of Jesus. But in the end, it's suddenly. It's suddenly. It could be this year. It's always going to be. It could be. You will not say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It won't. There'll be that God heart element that he suddenly does it. Now, so what do we do? Well, here's the last verse I want to look at. Matthew 24, 44. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We're right back where we started with Isaiah. The only real answer is to live as someone who is humble and trembles at his word. You can't just say, well, when I'm pretty sure it's happening, it's like swatting for my finals or my exams. I'll get ready in fact, you can't do that even about your own death. You can't say, oh, I'll wait until I'm nearly dying and then I'll sort myself out with God. You never, you'd, because it will be probably in some way suddenly. It may still be obvious it's going to happen, but it'll still be a surprise. Who knows? We all know that. We've all been through, many of us anyway, the grief of loss. So we know there is a shock element even then, even in the most predictable of circumstances. But, but often death isn't like that. You cannot wait and get ready. You need to live ready. Amen? You live ready to meet Jesus face to face. Because you will one day, one form or another. You live ready. You live by being humble and trembling at his word. So you think, God, I respect your word. I'm humble. I want you to use me in the way you said. Undated prediction coupled with sudden fulfilment in an unexpected manner, is how God loves to work. And he does it so that we don't try and manipulate him, so that we stay humble and obedient and excited and open. God is not a tame lion in a cage. Amen? I want you to carry on while I go. (laughs) Uh, And I want you, as the worship band will lead you or the worship the meeting leader will lead you i'd like you to pray together this morning i would suggest you might do this i'd like you to pray for god suddenly in your own personal life or in the lives of friends and relatives some of you've got non-christian friends and relatives you've probably been praying for years for them let's be expectant there can be a suddenly because there can be and it may be 
Very unexpected in one way. You know, you always think, well, I'd like a really nice Christian girl to speak to him. Well, actually, he might be in the den of iniquity, down the pit, and he bumps into some backslidden, broken Christian, says something, and turns it right around. Who'd know? That often happens. I mean, we had a, an issue in our own family life, and it really got worse before it got better. Our daughter was backslidden in her teens. Unexpectedly and unwelcomely, she got pregnant. And that was what turned her back to God. So it got worse, actually, and that's what God used. She's now today going on with the Lord and very, very definitely. So thank God for his grace. It was a difficult period, as you might imagine. But actually, the, it got worse to get better. You know, it's, a bit, it's a bit like that with God sometimes. Don't try and put him in a box, but do believe that he can do miracles. And he can suddenly change a life. Don't give up. And then you could pray, I would hope, for your church and your city and our nation for a suddenly, a fresh outpouring. And if you feel bold enough and stirred enough, why don't you pray for Jesus to come back? That's what John did in the book of Revelation. After he's told us all about the future, in Revelation 22 verse 20, he says, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So plenty to do. I'll leave you to do it. All right.